Shalom mishpacha. Shalom family. Mishpacha is a Hebrew word. It means family. And we're the mishpacha, the family with the Jewish heart. Made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people. We're the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. It's finally come down to form one new man. Getting ready, mishpacha, to blow the grandest shofar or the grandest trumpet in Zion. We want everyone everywhere to hear the good news. We want everyone everywhere to be red hot for the Messiah. Well, I have a young man, Larry Sparks, on the telephone. Uh, that uh, He is just finishing up on his master's degree, and the subject he's getting in it in, uh, I mean, anyone would like this. How in the world do you get a master's in studying revival, Larry? <laughs> well, you know, I, I started my program and it was one of those things where uh, I, I began with pract- a Master of Divinity in Practical Theology. And uh, over time, it was one of those things where different concentrations came up. I had the option to go with different things. And uh, one of the things that was available was church history, particularly revival history. So it's been, it's been really exciting to do that. And uh, I, I'm just—every uh, time I go to class, you know, some people call seminary cemetery— but I, the Lord's really used it to really ignite my, my faith, exposing me to all these stories of what God's done. Well, Larry, we're, we're talking today about your brand new book, Breakthrough Faith. If there has ever been a time that people need a breakthrough, that time is now. Um, before we even get into the keys for breakthrough— I want to take you back right at you were saved at 16, and you started going to a a church that was known for worship, but something happened to you that has literally changed the whole direction of your life. You had an experience. A man with an experience with God is dangerous to the devil. What happened to you? Well, it's it's very interesting because— and I want to encourage all the listeners right now that for something to be supernatural, it doesn't always need to be spectacular. It can be very subtle. And that's what happened to me. I, you know, I was on a, a quest to know God. I was looking at different churches. This just came out of the blue. Is, is the Lord really awakening this inside of me? Um, I, I, I got a lot of information about God, but information and revelation are two different things. You can have information about somebody, but never be intimate with them. So I got information, I went to Christian school, but at 16 years old, I got, a, got my driver's license. I heard about this, this local church that had something called contemporary praise and worship, which I had no idea. I was just used to organs and maybe, you know, just kind of the old, old style of music in a church. I went, and the message was good, but the music was a little strange. People were lifting their hands and clapping, bizarre to me. But one night, it was July of 1999, in that church, I, uh, I was standing there in the, in the midst of worship, very subtly but very powerfully. I felt like a heat in, in my chest and then kind of a, an electricity in my fingers. I mean, this is, this is not stuff I was imagining. It was a physical thing. Again, I didn't fall over. I didn't have anything like that happen. But it was so deep and so profound. I knew it was God. I knew He was real. And the amazing thing, Sid, is I'm actually still living out of that one encounter. Again, it was so subtle, but I still live out of that because it reminds me, wow, 
this God who's out there, this God who's real, there's more of him to be experienced. So, yeah, you, you know, have you ever read the Weist translation of the Bible? No. Oh, it's, it's a fabulous one. And John 17, 3 says, this is eternal life, mm. namely that they might be having experiential knowledge of you. And to me, that's the missing ingredient of 21st century Christianity. Yes, you need the word. Yes, you need to be born from above. But a man with an experience, as I said, is dangerous to the devil. Uh, so uh, you, you found uh, yourself going to a church that was in what uh, is called word of faith teaching. Now, uh, as you and I have discussed before this broadcast, I started under a man by the name of Kenneth Hagan. I didn't go to school, but I read all of his literature and I got to know him personally. Uh, and I found that short of someone that operates in uh, in the glory realm or miracles, like say take a uh, a Bill Johnson. That if someone is struggling with healing, that is the single best teaching that I know. And so uh, this, this is how I grew up. But then the same thing that happened to you happened to me. And that is people took the pure word of faith message in having to do with healing but then opened it up to other arenas like finances and then went overboard way behind the people like Kenneth Hagin took it. What was your experience in this Word of Faith Church? Well, it's, it's, first off, it's, it's funny, Sid, because people will ask me, you know, reading my book or just knowing me in the past, they'll, they'll say, are you one of those faith people? And I just find that such a funny thing because it's like, what's the opposite? Do you want me want to be? Do, do you want me to be a doubt person? You know, it's just like, I mean, the the reality is the word of faith movement. From what I've studied, what I understand, it was actually born out of a very biblical principle, and that is to stand on the word of God, confess the word. In fact, I was thinking about this Sid yesterday, just as we've been talking about it, and I said, you know what, Lord, the word of faith can, the movement has actually made a huge contribution to the body of Christ because in so many spheres and, and so much Bible. We have a lot of Bible knowledge, but Word of Faith, particularly under the influence of, of Brother Hagen, really encouraged us to actually put the Word to work and actually speak it out and, instead of just sitting there and reading it, which is good, but he, he, he really invited us, that movement really encouraged us to put it into action. So I, w I was at a Word of Faith church, and I got a lot of the good principles. I was exposed to some of the best teaching, you know, the believer's authority, uh, the power in the name of Jesus. Um, oh, gosh, another great one was God's Creative Power by Charles Katz. All resources I highly recommend. But what ended up happening, and happening is we were there seven years. This was not the church I had the encounter with God at, by the way. This was a different church. And um, the church where I had the encounter really throughout the years till this very day places an emphasis on the presence. The Word of Faith Church had a lot of good principles. But the presence of God was not their pursuit. It was basically turning good principles into formulas to getting what you wanted from God. I remember, I remember there was a teaching series, how to get whatever you want, need, or desire from God. And the reality is God wants to meet your needs. I want to encourage the listeners. God wants to meet your needs. 
He wants to actually fulfill the desires of your heart. He wants to do those things. The problem is God is not a formula. He's not like Santa Claus. He is our, our best friend. The Holy Spirit's our best friend. We, we love Jesus because of who he is. And uh, in the book, I, I really place an emphasis on the knowledge of God, intimately knowing God, because when we, di- when we divorce intimacy with God, the presence of God, from good biblical principles, um, again, we turn God, a person, God the per- into a formula. And that's what, I, that's what we found. That's what we saw after seven years of being in that movement. And, uh, you know, that, I would say, is the imbalance of the word of faith. Yeah, I, I agree totally with that. But you also found uh, some sort of uh, uh, where they went way much further than, than people like Kagan having to do with finances. Yes, yes. I mean, the, the entire message well, was funny. Um, I mean, the, the tithe messages at the church, not just this particular church, but these particular churches, I mean, the tithe and offering messages will be like an hour long sometimes, no exaggeration. doesn't mean that's always bad, but it's just the emphasis. When the bent of the emphasis of that church, when the culture of that church is all about using God just to get money and wealth and stuff and using those principles like the plug-in, to the God formula, okay, I'm going to plug in my confession because I just want to get what I need from God. Um, that, that, that just rubbed us the wrong way. What happened with me is, and, and this is kind of what created tension between me and the Church, I and some others in the Church, we looked outside of that particular Church for additional teaching, for people who were teaching about the presence of God, about intimacy with God. People out there like John Bevere, I mean, these are the only people I knew at the time, who were encouraging people to draw near to God. Now, now, just out of curiosity, did you did you find yourself, because of the legalistic approach, coming under condemnation? Yeah. Yes. I found myself in that position, and other people did, because what would happen is, I mean, it got so crazy, and sometimes where if, if you said something, for example, if you said, you know what, I'm having a pretty bad day today, or, oh, man, you know, my back hurts. If you say that, People would actually say, oh, don't say that, you're going to curse your life. Now, again, there's a balance, because they're saying I'm having a bad day, they're saying that my back hurts, but then they're saying, you know what, I'm going to die at age 50. And, and actually believing that and confessing that and pronouncing that over your life, you can, I believe you biblically, you can curse your life when you actually agree with the report of the devil. But man, I mean that—that that was the legalism. Thing. Oh, oh, okay. That, but but then, uh, because of where where they were at, and because of your hunger for intimacy with God, uh, you went from one extreme <laughs> to another extreme. <laughs> Tell me about what happened. Well, we, when we left when we left that particular church after being there seven years, I was there about seven years, and. Um, I wanted to run away from all of it. I wanted to, like, throw the baby out with the bathwater, which, by the way, you know, one thing I believe the Lord wants to do, Sid, as we're talking, is I believe, just as He is in me, I believe He wants to heal offense in our hearts, because it's easy to get offended by that stuff. It is. It's easy to get offended in a situation where um, maybe you, you or a loved one were praying for healing or praying for a breakthrough, didn't happen, and somebody said something really bad to you, like, well, you didn't get healed because you didn't have enough faith or you didn't make the right confession. I believe, Sid, even as we're talking about this, the Holy Spirit is touching people and just bringing restoration and healing to offense. He's actually causing them to remember these things, just simply repent for them. And I believe the Lord wants to bring a biblical balance to this. 
and to help people walk in breakthrough because, Sid, the opposite, I think, was even, I don't know if it was just as bad, it might have been worse, is I ran away from all that stuff, uh, almost running away from the charismatic movement entirely, but I couldn't, couldn't run away from the presence because I'd been so profoundly impacted. I was running away from the word of faith stuff. Anytime I heard anybody talk about it, use any of that language, uh, there was a great offense and anger in my heart. And then what happened is we found ourselves in churches that basically, um, they had faith for when you got to heaven. You know, it's just like, well, if God sovereignly wants to heal you, maybe, or if he sovereignly wants to move now, that's great. But we're, we're holding out for heaven one day. We're, we'll, we'll believe that we'll be healed and whole and everything and all of our problems will be solved when we get to heaven one day. But there was not a lot of hope for right now, for today. So, you know, we were in that for a couple of years, and uh, it was the exact opposite. And then what we noticed is I believe a lot of people in that culture end up needlessly, needlessly dealing with the devil. Maybe, need, I mean, needlessly walking in sickness and defeat and just being condemned and overwhelmed. So, yeah, that was, that was the other opposite. It was great theological teaching that we got about the cross and about Christ. I'm grateful, ever, forever grateful. But, yeah, when it came to, to walking in faith for now, for, for now, to see victory now, uh, it was quite the opposite. And today, when you prayed out to God and you said, okay, I feel like a billiard ball. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm going this direction now, I'm going that direction. You pray to God, what is the truth? Yeah. What did God begin to reveal to you? Well, you know what happened is he, he immediately brought me to the Word, and I, I would encourage your listeners, that's the, that, that's the best place to go. Because um, I was just doing, for my, you know, I was doing a study of healing throughout, throughout the New Testament, throughout the Gospels, just different healing stories. And I got to one, and I'd read it and heard it before and heard messages about it, but man, it really ignited something inside me, a tenacity. And it was Mark chapter 2, where you have these four men who carry their paralyzed friend. I mean, the guy is completely paralyzed, para- you know, cannot move. They're carrying him on a stretcher. They bring him to Jesus. They want to bring him to Jesus. But what happens is they get to the house where Jesus is, and they can't get in. They can't get in because of the crowd. There's this obstacle. There's opposition. And my fear is today... That would happen, and what would happen as a result of that? We have a need, we bring it to Jesus, we experience opposition, and because there is opposition and there's an obstacle and we don't immediately see a breakthrough, the sad thing is a lot of people actually change their theology about God because of what they don't see. They bring, they bring their need to God, they pray, they cry out, they don't immediately see something happen, so they conclude, well, I guess God doesn't heal, I guess God doesn't want to do this, and, well, we'll just let... God's sovereign will be his sovereign will. Whatever happens, happens. But And I'd be okay if these four guys ended up making a different decision, turning around, going home, and concluding to themselves, you know what, I guess it's, God, it's not God's will to heal our friend today. But they did not do that. And that just got inside of me. Sid. I saw what they did. They were tenacious. They were relentless. They actually carried their paralyzed man up to the roof, broke through the ceiling, lowered him down to Jesus, and, and Jesus was not upset about this. I think to myself, my goodness, what would happen if this happened in churches today? And uh, we, we don't even want to think about this. Oh, you know, the service is being interrupted, all this is going on. But if anybody, if anybody should not have been interrupted, it'd be Jesus. But Jesus did not get upset. He did not get bothered. 
He, it says he saw their faith. And of course he said, you know, sons, your sins are forgiven. And then as a result, um, he healed the man. But, and we know what happens. We know the outcome. What got me was the uh, audacious, relentless attitude of these four friends. They did not accept the obstacle. Instead, they let the obstacle cause them to press in to God even further. And as a result, they got their breakthrough. I'm wondering today, for those of you guys who are listening to us, if maybe your breakthrough, I'm believing your breakthrough might just be on the other side of perseverance. And I'm praying that the Spirit of God would just give you a supernatural, fresh uh, anointing of perseverance and strength to contend for your breakthrough. I believe people, and that is so key, people quit just before the victory. But let's face it, we do have an adversary. For instance, I, I, you know what gets me so upset, Larry, is when believers, real believers, uh, say, well, everything that happens to me in my life is God's will. What would you say? I would say, you know what? Look at Mark chapter 2. That's just one example. One example. I would say, look at the different gospel accounts. We need to go back to the gospels. We need to be challenged by how Jesus responded, because so many times, whether it's this, this paralyzed man being lowered through the ceiling, whether it's blind Bartimaeus crying out, um, whether it was the woman with the issue of blood, this woman with a nonstop blood flow, 12 years pressing through a crowd to get to Jesus, these people actually did not allow their circumstance to be final. They did not believe that their circumstance and situation was superior to the Word of God. They didn't do what so many people today do, and it's kind of a lazy theology where we just say, you know what, it must, it, it, it's happening, so by default it must be God's will. These people had something happening to them, but they did not conclude it was God's will. They actually saw God's will as something very different, and they pressed in to receive it, and that's why you have these stories in the Bible and the Gospels. They pressed in, and they got the miracle. It's amazing. Now, your brand-new book, Breakthrough Faith, you wrote it for three groups of people. Who are they? Well, I, I wrote it, first of all, for, uh, for people who are hungry, for, for people who, who want more of God and um, who, who want to actually see a breakthrough faith lifestyle become normal for them, because that's what God wants to do. He wants to release something that's sustainable, sustain, not just a touch, not just encounter. Those things are great, but he wants this lifestyle to be sustained. So I believe uh, that, that, that really is your passion of your life yes. to, to, to have greater and greater hunger and intimacy with God. That should be everyone's passion. Yes. Absolutely. Because here's the thing, is uh, there, there's, there's no limit to how much of him we can experience. In Isaiah 9-7, and the increase of his government, there will, be a, there will be no end. There's so much that he wants to release into the earth, and he releases it into the earth through his people, his kingdom. Where's the kingdom? The kingdom's inside of us. So my desire is first that, yeah, this book would just stir up those who are already hungry for God. All right, the second people group. <laughs> And, the, and really the second group of people would be people who have been offended for people who have had uh, just false ex, you know, an exposure to the false faith, to the, to the incorrect faith, to, to whether it was extreme uh, word of faith teaching or the carnal gospel of prosperity, people who just are, are ready to give up on the, uh, you know, what they would call the, all that faith stuff. 
my prayer and my earnest desire is that um, not only would this really encourage faith people, people who are already believing for this, but people who really have no exposure to this. That's that's why I went to seminary. That's why I, you know I don't believe it's necessary to teach the God, to teach the Word. I don't believe it's imperative, but I went because I want to do my best to to steward these things and equip people, especially those who are maybe not walking in a supernatural lifestyle. I want to do what I can to bring a legitimacy to that. And um, so that's my desire. Through this book, through my own personal experiences with both sides, and my best theological understanding of the Bible to help people who have just misconceptions and confusion about faith to actually start walking in it and get and to actually get hungry for it. And, and of course, the biggest need are those that feel they've done everything they've been taught to do, and they were supposed to have been healed, and they weren't, and they're in a hopeless state. You need breakthrough faith. This is what I can promise you. You're going to have a breakthrough of epic proportions. This is what I'm going to promise you. You will have a breakthrough of epic proportions. Does that sound good? I believe we had two of our staff, senior producer types, that read this book and said, and they understood all about word of faith and healing. And they, they said, what a breath of fresh air. I feel like I'm going to, I'm now encouraged. I now have this breakthrough faith. So I want to make the book and his brand new workbook. And the one CD that has three teachings, Keys to Breakthrough Faith, available for an investment of $35. Why do I say investment? Because any profits we make are poured into Jewish evangelism. When we come back, I've got to hear the vision you had of the ancient rusty gates that are part of the entire breakthrough. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697, 1-800-447-2697. Sid Roth here with Larry Sparks. And uh, Larry, uh, this vision, it really impressed me that God gave you of those ancient, rusty gates that were blocking things. Tell me about it. It's interesting. It's one of those areas in my life where, at the time, it was like the supernatural and the theological collided. Um, I, I was at a, uh, a revival meeting, the Bay of the Holy Spirit. It was uh, Nathan Morris It was the evangelist ministering. It was a movement that came out of uh, Pastor John Kilpatrick's church in Mobile, Alabama. Pastor Kilpatrick was the pastor of the Brownsville Revival. So God was doing something powerful in their midst. They were in Orlando, Florida. I came because I was just hungry. I, I, I do whatever I can to connect myself with the legitimate move of the Holy Spirit. I encourage people, if you feel you know, dry and weary and your, your faith is, is waning and you want that fire back in your faith, one of the best things you can possibly do is expose yourself to the move of God, is to connect with what God is doing. That's what I did. I went to this revival meeting and... Um, at the end, we're, we're just having altar time. I'll never forget, uh, Lydia Stanley, the worship leader, started to play a prophetic song. And over and over again, she started singing, Open up the gates, you know, open up the doors. 
And I, I remember rushing to the altar. I, I, it was one of those things where said my mind didn't know what was happening, but my spirit knew that God wanted to release something. I didn't quite know what it was, but I, I ran up to the altar because I was just hungry, and I was just kind of kneeling down. And it was a vision of the mind where I saw, as we were singing this, as there's this atmosphere of hunger crying out, God, open up the gates. I had this vision of the mind where I saw these ancient, rusty gates. And, they, and when I explain gates, it's like they have bars down the middle. So it's not a complete door. It's a gate um, that, that something can get through, through the bars, but in limited quantity. And, uh, and I felt like as I saw this, the Lord spoke to me and said, Over, you know, my spirit has not been withdrawn from the earth. Now, sometimes, even in charismatic circles, we think, well, you know, there was the book of Acts, and then there was kind of a silent time, then Azusa Street happened. But his spirit really, one thing I've learned, his spirit has not withdrawn from the earth, and it's so important to recognize that, because throughout history, there's been a remnant. There have been people in every generation pressing in for the fullness of God. And what I saw in this vision is that throughout the centuries, there has been a measure of activity, of supernatural activity released from heaven into the earth through these like small holes in the gates. But as, we're, as time is progressing towards the end, as, as we are entering really the last and great harvest, and, that there, and you know, Sid, I know, I know you connect with a lot of people, interview a lot of people. I think by and large there's this atmosphere of just corporate hunger, perhaps more, more than ever before. I just see it. There's communities rising up training people in the supernatural. Uh, more and more it's becoming theologically recognized. There's theologians out of the Holy Spirit. I'm seeing something amazing. And in that vision, what I saw was as this just cry of hunger went up with great desperation, I saw the gates actually lifting. So no longer was there just a restricted flow of the supernatural coming in through, through those holes in the bars, but actually the entire gate was going up and there was just an unrestricted uh, measure of, of the presence and power of God, the gifts of the Spirit being released through that open gate. And, uh, and it was amazing. I, I believe that is the season that we're entering into. And like I said, the key was, as I saw the gate lift up, it was like the gate was controlled, not by God's sovereignty, but by the hunger and the cries of the people who wanted more. Now, you talk in your book about... Uh bad stewardship of the supernatural. Explain what you mean. Well, and that's been restricting things in the past. Yes, yes. And, and even, again, sometimes in um, communities where we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and we believe in the power of God, we have a stewardship. And one thing we need to recognize is what we received. You know, 2,000 years ago, God gave us a precious gift. He gave us His Son. He gave, he gave us the Messiah. And the wonderful thing is, Jesus the Messiah came to, yes, get us into heaven. He forgave us of our sins and cleansed us with his blood, but he also made a provision for us to have something on earth. He cleansed us so that we could be people fit to be inhabited by God, to be fit to become the temple of God in the earth. So when I talk about stewardship of the supernatural, every single Christian, every single genuine believer in Jesus has received the Holy Spirit. There's, there, I don't believe there's an upgrade of the Holy, like a Holy Spirit 2.0 type of thing. However, however, what are we doing with Him? How, how, you know, what, what are we doing with His presence in our life? How, how are we 
drawing close to him? Are we developing and cultivating friendship and intimacy with him? And do we recognize the precious gift that God has given us? Because I believe as we do, as we simply learn how to do life, living filled with the Holy Spirit, everything changes. Oh, okay, but what do you mean by stewarding? We have not been good stewards. What do you mean by that? It's recognizing what the Holy Spirit has actually given us the ability to do. There's this person that God's put inside of us, and the Holy Spirit has given every single believer the ability to walk in the supernatural. I mean, Jesus said it very clearly. I believe it's in Matthew 10, where when he sent out the disciples, he, he sent them on a mission. He said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, freely you've received, freely you've received, now freely give. We've received the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, and there's nothing that's impossible for him to do. So stewardship of the, of the Holy Spirit, of the supernatural, it's, it's recognizing what we've received and responding appropriately. For example, with faith. You know, when we get born again, when we get saved, it's, the Bible talks about we receive a measure of faith. Now, do I believe we should be constantly begging for more faith? I don't know if that's the, the right language. I do know that when we get saved, we get a measure of faith. This measure of faith is supernatural because it, it, it enables us to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Savior. Uh, it enables us to believe that one day we're going to live with him forever in heaven. It enables us to believe that actually the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. My thing is, if we're able to believe all of those things by, because of this faith that we've received, why is it that we're not putting that faith to work for other things? like healing and deliverance and living what the Bible describes and defines as normal. And that's the thing, Sid, what we're doing is the Bible is our standard, and we're living beneath the standard, and we need to actually raise our experience and our lifestyles back up to the standard and press in for that. You know, I often wonder, uh, I hear many believers say, oh, I don't have enough faith. Uh, What would you say to them? God says you have enough faith. God says, the Word of God says you have received a measure of faith. You have faith that can get you to heaven, and you have faith that can raise the dead. So the, the reality is we have been given all the faith we're going to ever receive. Now, we can work it out. We work out faith, just like we work out our natural muscles when we go to the gym. Um, we, when we go to the gym, we don't get new muscles we work out what's already on the inside of us, and that's what's going to happen, I believe, as you just take some of these practical keys and apply them, uh, whether it's testimony or declaring the Word of God or spending time in the presence of God. There are practical things that I believe are going to build your faith, just like we build our muscles in the gym. You talk about the need for hope in our society. We sure have a need uh, amplifying that. Yeah, well, again, we're inundated with hopelessness. I believe there's some very practical things that we can do to just start stirring up hope inside of us. Number one, we need to believe that God is able and willing. Really, that, that's one of the birthplaces for hope in us. A lot of us sing about how God is able. We, we know that God is able. We, we have a Bible filled with all the things that show God's ability. He split the sea. He walked through the fiery furnace. He's done so many things. He's demonstrated his ability, but there are so many people who don't have hope because they have not married God's ability with his willingness. So I encourage you, 
the God who is able is also willing. And when you know that, that stirs up hope. It gives you fresh hope that not only God can do this, but he wants to. So you've got to know that God is able and willing. Another thing is to just spend time in the Word of God and look for new possibilities. If you're sick, look for the possibilities of healing. They actually release and ignite hope inside of you. If you are depressed, if you are tormented, if you are dealing with fear and anxiety, look for Bible promises in the Scripture that deal with fear and anxiety and worry. What does that do? It gives you new options. All right, what would you say to the person that feels, I see God doing that for others, but you don't know my past. I am totally unworthy. Well, the wonderful thing is you may feel like you have run a million miles away from God. And I'm sure there's people who are listening who feel that way. You may feel like, listen, you, you don't know my past. You don't know my present. You don't know what I'm de- dealing with now. You don't know what I'm struggling with. You don't know the sin I'm in. I have run so far away from God, but the good news is God has run towards you. You can't run the million miles back to God, but the good news is He has run those million miles towards you. And what we just simply need to do is turn, make an about face. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're dealing with, whatever the sin, whatever the past, the devil wants to have that over you like, like a constant rain cloud. So all you're focused on are your mistakes and your failures and your sins. Here's what I encourage you to do. Repent. What does that mean? To do an about face. You may be staring at all the junk. I encourage you right now, through the, just by the power and the unction of the Holy Spirit, just turn around from those things. Turn away from sin and turn towards God. You know, I, one of the definitions I love of, of repentance is uh, Bill Johnson calls it a lifestyle of repentance. is a lifestyle of living face-to-face with God. And the reality is we look upon him because he is infinitely more glorious and beautiful and wonderful and loving than all that junk, because all that junk tries to do, all the sin and all the mistakes, just tries to keep us restrained and held back. So you are not beyond God's help. You are not beyond God's intervention. You are not beyond a miracle. I just encourage you, turn and face him. See him for how good he truly is. The Bible says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Even as we talk right now, Sid, I feel like the Holy Spirit is touching people. People who might feel like you described, they feel like, I'm just not worthy. I'm just, I'm just unclean. And I believe the Holy Spirit's touching them. And it's almost like I see him uh, taking their chin. And they, have may, they may have had their face and their head down in disgust and shame. And the Holy Spirit's just lifting it, lifting it, lifting up their eyes to see God in his mercy and his grace, turning their eyes from sin, walking towards him. And he's a faithful God. He will never let you down. Now, you have a big problem with people that pray, Lord, if it be your will. Well, they feel pretty humble when they pray that way, but what would you say? It sounds spiritual. It sounds theological. I've, I've heard it. And there, is, there are times to pray, if it be thy will, when it comes to making a decision in life, when you know, it comes to taking a job or moving to a certain city. There are times, you know, we would call that a prayer of petition, but here's the thing. The Bible makes so many things just black and white. Uh, Randy Clark says, you know, the things in the Bible that I struggle with are not the complicated things. They're the simple ones. And by struggle, he meant those are the things I actually want to live in. Like John 14:12, Jesus said, you know, the same works that I've done you will do and greater works. 
you know, if you have faith the size of a, a mustard seed, the smallest faith, you will say to this mountain, be removed, cast into the sea, and it shall be done. These are pretty black and white scriptures. These are pretty black and white truths. So I, I really believe that there are things in the Bible that are black and white, very clear, that there, there's no if it be thy will. There's no if it be thy will when it comes to healing, when it comes to deliverance, seeing people set free from demonic torment, from fear. Those are. Why do I say that? Why, why can I say that with confidence? Because Jesus Christ was the expressed image of the invisible God. What does that mean? Everything that Jesus said, everything that Jesus did, totally accurately revealed the will of God. And what Jesus did, that's why it's so important for us to spend some time in the gospel. Can I do everything Jesus did? Yeah, absolutely. You absolutely can. It's 100% legal, and here's the thing. Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. He is our Messiah. He is also our model for the Christian life. He showed us what it meant to live a life filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, I don't think Jesus really needed, out of necessity, a baptism of the Holy Spirit, but he got one. He, he was baptized by John the Baptist, and we're all, so many of us are familiar with that story, but Jesus was baptized in the water, but he also received a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Why? Did he need it? No, he was the Messiah. He's God. He's the Son of God. But he was, from that moment, showing us what life could look like as a people, as men and women who are living, filled with the Holy Spirit. He gave us a model and he gave us an example, and that needs to be our standard. Uh, you, you have some interesting quotes in your book. I guess it came from your studying previous revivals. But uh, one is A.W. Tozer wrote, The devil can handle me, but can't handle the one to whom I'm joined. Comment. <laughs> Yes. That's the thing. You know, I, I see when it comes especially to spiritual warfare, what I mean by that are when we are dealing with torment, when we're dealing with demonic, when we're dealing with spiritual forces that are against us that Paul talks about in Ephesians, you know, spiritual warfare. And I see a lot of Christians today who are wrestling and fighting against a defeated devil. Is he out there still? He, he absolutely is. And he, and he works to try to deceive us. And one of the main things he wants to deceive us out of believing is believing that the one who lives inside of us is actually greater than the one who is in the world. And that's the devil. And you know what? Here's, here's some just good news for those of you who feel like you're in spiritual conflict. Keep persevering. Fight from victory, not for victory, because you already have victory in Jesus. And the reality is the devil is not the opposite of God. He's not like God's arch nemesis where you just never know if God's going to win or the devil's going to win. It doesn't work like that. The devil is actually a created being, and Jesus made it possible for him to be stripped of authority. And now I believe we, what we, he, Jesus has given us the ability to trample upon the powers of the enemy. So I, I just encourage people, you know, we, we are to not go against the devil, not try to fight him in our own ability and our own resources, just as people. But when we come just as people filled with the Holy Spirit, using the Word of God, he, can't, he cannot handle that. He cannot handle the one living inside of us. Do you need a breakthrough in your life? Of course you do. Well, you're about ready to have a breakthrough of epic proportions. It's waiting for every reader of this brand new book and workbook, and especially the CD, three teachings on one CD, 
on breakthrough faith. It was written for people that need a breakthrough. You've been praying, God, I need a breakthrough. Definition of insanity. Keep doing things the same way and expect different results. I want you to read this book because it's a marriage of true faith, what God says about faith, and intimacy with God. It's not just principles. It's getting to know the Messiah. Larry, what will this workbook and book do for people? I I believe this workbook and this book, they don't just have information. They're going to release an impartation. And, you know, Larry Sparks, I'm, I'm... I'm just a normal person who's trying to walk and break through faith myself. But what I believe this book does contain and these resources have, it's filled with the Word of God. And the Word of God is going to release a dynamic, powerful impartation in you, not only giving you the information to understand this, but it's actually going to equip you and empower you to walk this out in your normal day-to-day life. And that's what God wants. Breakthrough Faith is going to take you on a life-changing journey that's going to transform even the way you think about faith. I'm going to get this book in your hands and the workbook and the CD, and Breakthrough of Epic Proportion is on the way, available for an investment of $35. When we come back... I want Larry to tell about the things he's working on his master's, uh, studying revivals. What a wonderful master's degree. He just about finished it, but he has some nuggets that are life-changing for you. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697, 1-800-447-2697. Our world is rife with comparisons about what separates us. Day after day, we go about our lives with tunnel vision. But Scripture tells us how Messiah broke down the wall between Jew and Gentile, allowing for the creation of one new man, one new humanity. This spiritual completeness is set to usher in the greatest move toward God the world has ever known. Log on to SidRoth.org today and learn how one new man is the key to unlocking God's greatest blessings. Hi, Sid Roth here with Larry Sparks, and Larry has been studying revivals, uh, and there is a lot to be learned uh, as, as far because anything they did, we can do, and I believe we're so close to the return of Jesus, we can even do it better. Tell me some of the things that you've learned by studying previous revivals. Well, first thing is I immediately think of the Welsh revival. There's a man named Evan Roberts. And this man was desperate for God. He was hungry to see God move in his city and his nation in a powerful way. And the thing that we learn from Evan Roberts is that there is a need for perseverance. You know, one thing I, I, I read that he wrote, it's, he said, I said to myself, I will have the Spirit. And through all weathers and in spite of all difficulties, I went to the meetings. He was constantly in atmospheres and environments where the Holy Spirit was, was, was moving. He was constantly doing what he could to keep himself hungry. He said, and this is, this is what gets me. He said, for 10 or 11 years, I have prayed for revival. I could sit up all night to read or talk about revivals. It was the Spirit who moved me to think about revival for 10 or 11 years. Now, I'm not saying that that's always the case where we have to pray for 10 or 11 years. 
But Evan Roberts tells us that there is perseverance that is needed to experience a breakthrough. As a result, I believe at the Welsh Revival, this man carried, he prayed for this for 11 years, and he saw over 100,000 people come to know Jesus. So, but what about someone like Catherine Coleman? What did you learn from her? I learned from Catherine Coleman that there's always more. And that's interesting to think, because Catherine Coleman um, I, was somebody I wish I would have known, because here's this lady who walked in an unusual miracle, healing anointing. I mean, her healings here, I, I go on YouTube, I go on the computer, and I watch them, and her demeanor and her kindness and compassion, just, it's, it's amazing. And the miracles that would just break out in the presence of God. But I'll never forget, I watched her talk to the student body at Oral Roberts University, and the first thing she said, this to me was the secret of her ministry. The first thing she said as she opened in prayer is she said, God, there's no one here that's hungrier for more than me. And I thought to myself, Catherine, wait a minute. You're hungry for more. You're seeing things that we desire to see. You were seeing these amazing miracles just popping left and right in those services, in those meetings. And yet here she was saying, God, there's no one hungrier for more than me. So how, how is that translated? What does that mean? It means the God who lives inside of us is enormous. And that's for lack of a better phrase. He is huge. He is great. And Catherine recognized this. Catherine knew that the Spirit of God who lived inside of her was capable of accomplishing anything. And she had stepped into a certain measure of of anointing, of power, of miracles, but she wasn't satisfied. She was wanting more. And and Sid, I believe there's some listeners who are, are, are tuning in and there's a couple of categories I think the Lord really wants to minister to, just based on that word, based on, on that word from Catherine back in the 1970s. For those of you who feel like, you know what, I've never experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit. I've never been filled with the Spirit. I, I, believe, in, I believe in Jesus. He's my Savior. But I've never encountered God later. I've never encountered God like you're talking about. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to fill you. And also, for those of you who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, maybe you've spoken in tongues, maybe you've uh, operated in prophecy or a gift of the Spirit, I believe there's more. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about the elementary things of the faith. It says uh, repentance and baptisms, baptisms plural. And I believe there are multiple baptisms we can experience in the Spirit. Yes, we, we get certain gifts, but I believe there's so much more that we can walk in. Larry, tell me a contemporary, someone now that is in the forefront of revival uh, and what you learned from that person. Uh, one person I actually sp- I've gotten to spend a good amount of time with is Randy Clark. And some of you may know Randy Clark as the evangelist God used uh, to really help ignite the Toronto renewal, the Toronto blessing. He's, God's used him in a powerful way um, in healing and teaching other people and activating them in healing ministry. And what I've seen in Randy is two qualities, two keys to sustaining a life of revival. We all want revival. We want the move of God. We want to experience God. And God wants to touch you, but I also want to encourage you. God wants to transform you. And in Randy's life, I see these two keys at work, humility and hunger. Now, what does that look like? Humility recognizes that there's so much more of God that I'm presently experiencing. And Randy was a leader. He was a pastor. 
he was somebody, sometimes as leaders and pastors, it's easy for us to think, well, even though deep down I'm hungry for God, I don't want to show it in front of my people. I don't want that to be a sign of weakness. No, that's the greatest strength, because when you lead a church or a ministry or people or a Bible study and you're hungry, you're leading them into the same place that you're going. And that's what happened with Randy. He got hungry. He had these dramatic encounters with God starting in 1984, where everything for him and his church changed. He had an impartation of healing, and then his church uh, became a place where God would move for healing. Again, 1989, another encounter, and then God used him in a greater measure of just words of knowledge and healing. And then finally, I believe it was 1993, the Lord touched him in a very different way. Each encounter was unique and different, but each encounter made him want more. And there was that humility that said, God, I know there's more, and hunger, which was that driving force that caused Randy to go to different places, to interact with different people who were experiencing the move of God. He was not to a point of arrogance where he thought to himself, well, I don't need to go somewhere. I don't need to go somewhere. If God's going to touch me, he's going to touch me wherever I am. Now, sometimes we need to go somewhere because it demonstrates true desperation and hunger for God. I'm feeling a presence of God. And one of the things people say about when they read your book, even though it's brand new, we've read the manuscript uh, before it became a book, uh, that it stirs them up to such hunger for God. I can't think of a more important thing. So would you pray for people right now that they be stirred up, that they be hungry for God? Yes, yes. Father, we thank you that there is more. God, we thank you that every time we go to the Bible and we look at Jesus, we see that there's more, and we are just discontent living where we are. It's not condemnation. We don't feel bad about where we are. We get excited because we know, wow, God, there's so much more. So I pray for those right now who feel, you know, Larry, I, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right now, I pray in the name of Jesus those who are listening, who desire to be filled, maybe for the first time ever, Holy Spirit, touch them from the crown of their heads to the soles of their feet. Fill them to overflowing. Give them just a mighty baptism in your Spirit. And I pray it would be a deep and profound encounter, God, that they will live out of, that they will be able to live their life out of that. And God, it would be such a memorable moment that they would always have it as a reference point in their life. And for those of you who think to yourselves, you know what, I've been filled with the Spirit in the past, I've had an experience, I've been baptized in the Spirit, but there's something that, that inside of me that wants more. I'm not content just, you know, having this one gift or doing this other thing. I'm, I'm not content to wear a spiritual merit badge saying, well, I, I, had, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, now what? The now what is there's a light. Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Greek means to be ever filled. There's no end. The increase of his government, no end. Of the increase of how much the Spirit of God can fill you in the earth, there's no end. So right now I pray for those of you who either you're hungry for another touch or you're just on fire and you're just saying, you know what, I'll take what I'll, I'll take as much more as God wants to give me. Holy Spirit, I just ask you to release that in, in people's rooms, in people's cars, wherever they're listening. God, just give them a a deep and profound encounter, God, and bring them to that place of more, of more. And God, that it wouldn't just be a moment. It wouldn't just be an encounter, an experience. I pray for sustain. 
sustained, measurable results, that they would actually see life change on a continuous, everyday basis because of these encounters that we're praying for right now in Jesus' name. That same flow of the Holy Spirit that you're feeling right now is in all of Larry's material. Do you need a breakthrough? I'll answer for you. Of course you need a breakthrough. I'm going to promise you something. If you read this book and operate in the principles that Larry speaks, and it's beyond intellectual. If you've been hearing his heart, his heart is the marriage of the truth. Everything you read in the Bible, it's yours and intimacy with God. And that's what his literature will do for you. You are going to have a breakthrough of epic proportions. When you get the marriage of faith and intimacy, you end up not with a book of principles, but you end up with the person of Jesus. Now, Larry, I believe that there is an impartation on your materials and they are going to have they're going to they're going to have a greater hunger for God than you after all of these years and having such a hunger for God how do you still have a hunger for God I I I do that by just doing some very practical things and I've mentioned them but when what I I have seasons and times where I feel my faith is dry I remind myself of what he's done I, I listen to testimonies. I watch testimonies. I read revival books. I, read, I, I, I crave stories about what God has done and what God is doing. And maybe some of the most powerful ones is I actually remind myself of my own encounters that I've had with God and just remind myself. And, and I ask Him, I ask the Lord to take me back to that moment, to almost like smell the smells and hear the sounds. Just bring me back in that moment of encounter and remind me of how powerful it was, and remind me, remind me truly of what I have living inside of me. Is this the generation that is going to see the greatest revival the world has ever seen? I believe it is. I believe it is, because this generation, so many people look at this generation and say, it's a fearless generation, it's a reckless generation, it's a generation that I believe is wired to crave the supernatural, and the problem is if we, as the Church, don't give them the biblical foundation of walking in the supernatural, they are going to look for it somewhere else. And we cannot, that must be illegal on our watch. They cannot go to the New Age. They cannot go to the occult. They can't go to to witchcraft and what Hollywood has and all these different places because the supernatural should be natural to every single Christian. For an investment of $35, I want to get this new book into your hands, Breakthrough Faith, because you need a breakthrough. And the CD with three teachings on keys to breakthrough faith, available for an investment of about what separates us. 
day after day we go about our lives with tunnel vision. But scripture tells us how Messiah broke down the wall between Jew and Gentile, allowing for the creation of one new man, one new humanity. This spiritual completeness is set to usher in the greatest move toward God the world has ever known. Sid Roth has discovered scripture's key to reaching the Jewish people with God's love. One new humanity opens the door for God to move in signs and wonders, and all will see the evidence of the invisible God promised in Scripture. At SidRoth.org, you'll find mentoring tools to empower you to share how one new humanity is critical to bringing multitudes to know God. You'll understand Israel and the Jewish roots of the church, and how all the nations of the earth will experience blessings unseen in human history. Log on to SidRoth.org today and learn how one new man is the key to unlocking God's greatest blessings. To place a credit card order for today's offer, call anytime at 1-800-447-2697. That's 1-800-447-2697. 2697 or log on to our website at www.sidroth.org to hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show it's supernatural visit our website at www.sidroth.org that's www.sidroth.org discover how you can begin watching for free our 24-hour, seven-day-a-week TV network, ISN, the It's Supernatural Network. You can write me at Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. That's Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278.